With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Volume. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet five bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Now that my New England Patriots are out and my focus is entirely turned to the future of one Bill Belichick, I am turning to the NFC, to the Dallas Cowboys the Philadelphia Eagles. I am ready to watch some NFC football, and I'll be betting a lot on some of those games over the next couple of weeks. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MANIX. New customers can bet just 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York... Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. I want to welcome in everybody that's listening on our podcast feed. Thank you for subscribing to that feed. If you haven't subscribed yet, Get over to Boxing with Chris Mannix. Hit that subscribe button so this podcast gets into your feed every single week. What a welcome in everybody that's watching a clip on our YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube page as well. A lot of good stuff uh, from this show, other shows on the YouTube page uh, over the next couple of weeks and months into 2024. So 
We've got a great show for you today. A little bit of a different show today. Doug Fisher, who is the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine, has been since 2018. He's been working for Ring for years before that. Ring Magazine has been in the news a lot lately. It was in the news when Mauricio Suleiman, the head of the WBC, attacked it. It was in the news for its refusal to sanction Bam Rodriguez and Sonny Edwards as a ring title fight back in December. It's been in the news as far as its relevance with its ratings, its title, its print issue. Uh, I want to talk to Doug about the state of Ring Magazine and all the controversies that have been around Ring over the last uh, few years and more recently in the last few months. Because in a way, the last few months have shown that Ring is as relevant as ever. If people are talking about your publication, it means something. It means that your publication is still uh, a relevant one in the world of boxing. So Doug Fisher joins me to talk about that. A couple other topics I get into with Doug uh, as well. So great conversation with Doug Fisher of Ring Magazine. Before we get to that, I do want to address the biggest topic in boxing this week. And it's a topic that I think can still develop into one of the biggest stories that we've talked about in boxing in quite some time. What I'm talking about is the controversial stoppage last weekend in the fight between Virgil Ortiz and Frederick Lawson. If you missed that fight this past weekend, Virgil Ortiz, uh, young, undefeated, rising star, coming off a long layoff, he was taking a comeback fight against Frederick Lawson, unknown fighter, few losses on his resume. He was just there to hopefully give Virgil a few rounds and then eventually go down and Virgil could build on that win. Um, it didn't last one round, and it was controversial at the time because Tony Weeks, the referee, stepped in when it didn't look like Lawson was all that hurt. You know, if you watch the fight, you knew that Frederick Lawson, sooner rather than later, was going to go down. But in that moment, when Tony Weeks stopped the fight, it looked suspicious, or at least it looked questionable. And because it was Tony Weeks, we start to think about what happened last year in the Rolando Romero-Ishmael Barroso fight where Tony Weeks stopped that fight uh, way too early when Barroso was still very much you know, in the fight, on his feet, winning the fight. And uh, Tony looked like he misjudged the shots that were being thrown by Rolly Romero, stopped that fight, took a lot of heat uh, for that stoppage as well. So that was a bad stoppage. He received criticism at that time. A couple of days later, this story took a major twist. That's because Tony Weeks went onto his Facebook page and posted the following. What the public didn't know that prior to the fight, they did a brain scan on him, him being Lawson, and it came up that he had an aneurysm. And they did a test again, and the same aneurysm came up. Another doctor was brought in and gave him the same examination, and he tested negative for the aneurysm, so they cleared him to fight. These are, in no uncertain terms, explosive allegations by one of the most well-known officials in the state of Nevada. Tony Weeks is someone that, even if you are a casual boxing fan, 
if you see him, you recognize him. He was in the most recent Creed movie. That's how recognizable Tony Weeks uh, is as a boxing referee. When you think of boxing referees, one of the ones you think of uh, is Tony Weeks. So for Tony Weeks, a decades-long referee, a decorated referee, to make these kind of allegations, it, it was shocking. There's no other word to use, but it was shocking. So in the immediate aftermath, Golden Boy Promotions, which promoted the event, put out a statement saying that Frederick Lawson was cleared by a Nevada State Athletic Commission neurologist. The next day, the Nevada Commission put out a statement that said, quote, on January 6th, 2024, a contest was held between Virgil Ortiz and Frederick Lawson in Las Vegas, Nevada. The contest was under the jurisdiction of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. The health and safety of the unarmed combatants that compete in the state are paramount to the commission. All contestants in the event were subject to full medical examinations and were cleared by medical experts to compete without restrictions. The commission and its executive director will continue its ongoing practice of reviewing its official performance during and after the event. So what Golden Boy said in a couple of sentences mirror what the Nevada commission said in like four sentences, a full paragraph, basically. What neither of those statements addressed were the specific allegations that were made by Tony Weeks. What Tony Weeks alleged, it was twofold. One, he alleged that twice during brain scans, prior to the fight, Frederick Lawson had an aneurysm show up on those brain scans. An aneurysm. That's as serious as it gets when it comes to finding something on the brain that is about to get hit in a boxing ring. That's number one. The second part about this, which I don't think gets talked about enough, um, another doctor was brought in. So what Tony Weeks is alleging is that the Nevada Commission went doctor shopping, that they went out and found a doctor to give Frederick Lawson an exam, and that doctor ultimately cleared him. Now, look, like you, my initial reaction was there is no way that the Nevada Commission would go along with this. Like, this was not a mega event. Not that they should do it anyway, but if you were going to skirt medical protocol, you probably don't do it for Virgil Ortiz against Frederick Lawson in early January. That was my first reaction to all this. But the statement was a nothing burger. That was boilerplate, PR vetted, straight nothing. It told us nothing specific, and it did not specifically address the allegations that were made by Tony Weeks. This cannot be the only rebuttal, the only answer that the Nevada Commission has to these allegations. This is way too serious. This is a respected, longtime referee who has been part of the Nevada Athletic Commission for decades, making explosive allegations that they put the life of a fighter in danger. What Tony Weeks is effectively saying is that he knew it, and that's why he stopped the fight as quickly as he did. 
That needs an investigation. That needs a thorough airing out of the facts at a bare minimum. Now, if this was just a, you know, if this was somebody on social media or if this was an unverified source, I probably wouldn't give it the kind of credence I'm giving it now, opening this show with it, talking to you about it on YouTube. But this is Tony Weeks. I can't think of what motivation Tony Weeks would have to put out a statement like this. What Tony Weeks did with this statement was commit career suicide. Tony Weeks will never referee again. He will certainly never referee in Nevada, and I'd be surprised if he referees anywhere ever again. What he did was accuse his effective employers of illegal activity. Activity that, look, some boxing lawyers have said to me that if the Nevada commission actually did this, then the commission itself would have to be disbanded. Everyone would have to be fired because this is this serious an allegation. So we are now a few days removed from all this. We have the statement from Golden Boy and we have the boilerplate statement from the Nevada commission. That's not sufficient. Um, I, you know, People want to put some blame on Golden Boy. I think it's more on the Nevada commission because they are responsible for licensing these fighters. They are the commission that allows these fighters to get into the ring and gives them the bill of health that they need to get into the ring. The Nevada commission, Jeff Mullen, all the people in charge there, have to be more accountable than how they have been up until this point. The accountability they have shown is unacceptable. Repeat, the accountability they have shown is unacceptable. They need to produce evidence. They, they need to show that Frederick Lawson had clean brain scans. Now, look, I, I know there's going to be some hiding behind HIPAA laws and you, you know medical privacy and all that, but Tony Weeks made an allegation that is incredibly serious, and the Nevada Commission cannot just dismiss it with a boilerplate, lawyer-approved statement that told us nothing. They told us the exact same thing that Golden Boy told us. They told us that Frederick Lawson was approved to fight. That is not what Tony Weeks is accusing them of. Tony Weeks is accusing them of having two brain scans that showed an aneurysm. He is accusing them of bringing in another doctor to give them another brain scan that showed no aneurysm. So these types of things need to be addressed. And if they're not addressed, they should not be swept under the rug. They should not be let go. This is the lives of fighters we're talking about. This is life and death that we're talking about. It cannot just be dismissed as, well, the Nevada Commission said it didn't happen, so we should all just move along. Doesn't work that way. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed with specifics. And until then, we simply can't uh, overlook it. So we're going to be talking about this in the weeks and months ahead as this show goes forward, because I don't think it should be let go as quickly as maybe some people want to see it uh, let go. All right, coming up, Doug Fisher, Ring Magazine editor-in-chief, been around for a long time, seen a lot of things with Ring Magazine. I'm also going to ask Doug about this Tony Weeks issue. Stick around for that topic at the end of our conversation. But it's a great conversation with Doug about the state of Ring Magazine, 
the future of Ring Magazine and how it's been able to maintain its relevance despite the fact that it is a century old. So here's my conversation with Doug Fisher. All right, Doug Fisher is the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine, the Bible of Boxing, which is now more than a century old, if you can believe that. Back then, a 24-page edition cost 20 cents. Pretty good deal, even by 1920s standards. Today, the magazine is exclusively digital, but is still making an impact both in print and with its world title belts, which are well-known throughout boxing. Doug, a century old. That <laughs> even by publishing standards, that that feels like a long time. Yeah, no, and it's rare. I mean, I can't name more than five other existing print publications that are um over a hundred years old. Can you? No, I mean, look, I work for a like, What else is out there? What's older than it like like uh like how old is the New Yorker? God, I, I couldn't even guess. I mean, look, I, I work for yeah. a magazine that first published in 1954, so you've got us beat by yeah. more than 30 years. So it really is yeah. an incredible run. Yeah, and that's a long time though. If you if a mag if a publication has been in existence for more than than 50 years, mm -hmm. that's um that's a triumph. Mm -hmm. It's it's really amazing. How many years for and you? And we barely, I mean, we barely got across the finish line. Yeah. The uh, the pandemic almost ended it mm. uh, in 2020, and um, our saving grace was we. Um, we had an online shop and we just kind of went back into our archives and, um, you know, the boxing schedule, the live boxing schedule was, was erased for, you know, who knew, who knew how long it would, it was going to last or how long, um, everybody would be quarantined and, uh, you know, how long live events would be postponed. But, uh, I think we put out a, a, a special edition on the Gotti Ward trilogy followed by a Mike Tyson special. And uh, Gotti Ward sold very well. Mike Tyson special sold out. Mm. And most of those sales were uh, through the online shop, which just you know, it was, it was revenue directly to us. And that, that just kept us afloat. And we kept up. It, it let us know that, OK, we could do more special issues. So we did Manny Pacquiao. We did Julio Cesar Chavez. We did Larry Holmes. We did Oscar De La Hoya. Some sold better than others, but they all sold pretty well. Um, but still, the effect of... And and whatever publishing has has been you know there's been diminishing returns for for years and even decades, but the pandemic put so many um, of our vendors, uh, distribution companies, and um, the printing presses, the printing companies out of business. That um, it uh, it really kind of made it impossible. Even once everything was quote unquote back to normal, it wasn't back to normal for the for the the publishing world. Um, in order for us to like even dream of breaking even, we would have had to raise the the cover price to like 30 bucks per issue. And it just didn't make any sense. So um, after the 101st year of, of being a monthly publication, um, we made the tough decision of, of going digital only. How close do you think you got to you know, maybe having to fold? Numerous times. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it was it was like there was sometimes there was a on on you know the company level you know Oscar De La Hoya owns the magazine and he bought it in two thousand and seven, um, but Golden Boy Promotions is a company. I mean, he's he's the founder, he's the CEO, but there have been different people, kind of a revolving door of CEOs and people in charge of media. 
um, people in charge of um, company or business operations that um, saw no reason for, you know, for Golden Boy to have any business in the publishing world. And, um, you know, th those folks would get into Oscar's ear. And but Oscar never listened. Oscar loves the ring, you know, so it endured. It, pers it persisted. It survived because Oscar wanted to keep it and wanted to keep it afloat. But there was always talk about, you know, going either going digital only or the magazine being sold or, you know, discontinued and in, uh, in various ways. Um, after the first issue that I published um, as as the editor in chief, that was like early. Uh, actually, we, we, we produced the magazine in late 2017. Um, and it was like the first issue of 2018. So I've been doing this six years. Mm. Um, the guy who was in charge of like uh, company operations at Golden Boy at the time said, hey, how was it? How was it producing your first issue? And I said, it was hard as hell. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just I'm learning on the go. Right. And I said, but I, I learned a lot and I'm going to use that experience going into the next issue. And he said, don't worry about it. There's not going to be a next issue. And uh, and I went crazy on them. And um, it was just my pride. I was just like, you can't kill the magazine after my first issue <laughs> of being editor in chief is going to look like I killed it. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, I was just like, you know, and then as I'm arguing with the dude and we're like shouting at each other because this guy was kind of crazy. Um, you know, I was sort of emboldened by just the history of the magazine. No, we can't go out this way. And then, you know, the way it is often people will say, well, you know, Oscar wants to discontinue the the print publication. And I would always pull rank on him. I'd always say, well, I have to hear that from Oscar himself. And then they back the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> they back off. We're like, oh, shit. OK, never mind, man. So but it was from from 2018. That was at the start of 2018 uh, from 2018 through, uh, I'd say, the start of 2022. There were probably four or five times where it, it was it was just like it was just different people who were working for golden boy at that time who are no longer there by the way um you know sometimes it was a cfo sometimes it was the guy in charge of you know the in-house productions and, and and golden boy media and, and so forth other times it was the the business operations guy um we just butted heads you know um but you know thankfully i was always able to to go to oscar when it really looked like you know when they're like no we're we're cutting funding. We're not going to foot the bill on this or whatever. Or I don't see, you know, why we need a, a, a print publication. You know, we, we can persist as a website, you know, or, or a digital edition. And we can talk about that. But it was really a goal of mine um, to get across that finish line of, of, of the 100 year mark. That's a that's a milestone in publishing. That's a milestone in anything. <laughs> you know, I you know, I say any sort of company or institution, if you can get you know, to your centennial, it's a big deal. And that was very important to me. So that was the goal. And I was willing, I was willing to fight for it, fight tooth and nail, fight city hall until that birthday. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to be reasonable. How, how um, have you found the, the stewardship overall of, of golden boy? I mean, I remember back in 2007 when golden boy bought the ring and the narrative back then was, well, how can the ring maintain objectivity or even the perception of objectivity when they are owned by one of the biggest promotional companies in the world by a guy who at the time was still an active fighter and still one of the biggest cash cows 
in yeah, all of true. boxing. I mean, how, how have you found their stewardship over the years? It's changed. It's crazy to think about this, but um, I've been working for the ring for um, a little over 15 years. I started in late 2008. I left maxboxing.com that I co-founded with Steve Kim and Tom Gervaisi, uh and, and a webmaster named Gary Randall. Um, and uh, when I started, it was, I mean, I knew you, like it, the short answer to your question is you can't, there's always going to be somebody that says that we're compromised because uh, we're owned by a promoter. Um, and I totally get that. And I, I understand that. Um, and, and when it looks like, we're doing something, uh, we're making an editorial decision because it's, it's making Oscar de la Hoya happy, or it's in favor of golden boy. Um, I welcome the criticism. I, you know, we should be, you know, uh, we should be dragged across the coals. Um, but I can say that, you know, um, I've never done that. Um, my predecessor, predecessor, Michael Rosenthal never did that. I know Nigel Collins, didn't do that. But that isn't to say that um, the editorial board doesn't butt heads with the company that owns the magazine. It's happened numerous times. Um, when I first came aboard, um, it was like a three-way partnership between Golden Boy Enterprises, um, a subsidiary that was you know, basically the company that is Ring Magazine called Sports and Entertainment Publications, which still exists, and Yahoo Sports. And we answered editorially to the guy who was running Yahoo Sports at the time. I can't remember the guy's name, but he had come from uh, the L.A. Times and he was a young mover and shaker. Um, and uh, and that's how it was for a couple of years. Um, but um, I think Yahoo Sports didn't uphold their end financially like they were supposed to put in financially and invest financially and do certain things. And they weren't able to because like as soon as that deal was done, um, Yahoo Sports took a hit like that. Com the company of Yahoo took a hit, whatever. Um, and a lot of, of their infrastructure was just gutted. And so there was a lot of support that we didn't get editorially and uh, just in terms of um, utilizing Yahoo Sports as a platform. And Golden Boy just took it over. Right. And and after that point. There were times, and I know, especially when Ed, uh, when uh, Richard Schaefer was the CEO, and Richard Schaefer is Schaefer. He's, he's unapologetic. He's a he was a promoter, and at the time, Golden Boy Promotions was the eight hundred pound gorilla in in boxing. Because as you said, Oscar De La Hoya was still an he was still an active fighter, and he was the biggest ticket in the sport. And that that gave Golden Boy a lot of leverage with HBO. Uh, just gave them a lot of leverage in the sport. Period, and. Um, when you are the 800 pound gorilla, you don't like to hear people tell you no, or you don't like to hear people push back. You know, when, when, you know, when Schaefer is saying Adrian Broner should be in the pound for pound, right. You know, or, you know, Abner Morris should be top five pound for pound or whatever. And they're golden boy fighters. And they may or may not have earned that position and editorial pushes back. Schaefer ain't going to be happy about it. Um, and I know especially once the Cold War really got rolling between Golden Boy Promotions and Top Rank, and especially when Golden Boy Promotions uh, was uh, closely partnered with Floyd Mayweather, and they took Floyd Mayweather from HBO to Showtime, and Top Rank's star was Manny Pacquiao, 
and top rank and Manny Pacquiao were still with with HBO. The Cold War and that divide got really strong. And that whole pound for pound debate before they, they fought, right? That whole ridiculous five year build up to that that mega event. Um, things got real tough. And I know Nigel Collins was like he was kind of a Manny Pacquiao guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so was I, you know, uh, and obviously Richard Schaefer was a uh, I'll say he was an Al Heyman guy, but uh, he was uh, by proxy. He was a, a Floyd Mayweather guy. And um, I, I mean, Nigel Collins will have to speak his truth, but I know things got hairy between them um, and they did. They they got rid of him. They they cleaned out um, the editorial board at that time. Um, I think in uh, maybe it was late 2011 and that was Nigel Collins and Eric Rashkin and William Detloff. And um, suddenly the two guys that were the editors of uh, the, the online version of the ring ring TV.com. That's me and Michael Rosenthal. We were sort of in charge of the magazine, although it was mainly Rosenthal was the magazine. And then I, I was just like the head guy on the website until they got rid of Rosenthal. And that was late. 2017 and it's been yours truly ever since but no it, it absolutely happens and that's just i mean that's how it is in boxing i mean you know um promoters want what promoters want and um you're either the 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 mentality often in boxing is you're either with me or you're against me mm. uh and there's no such thing as partnerships do you know so there's there's naturally going to be um the butting of heads and it, and, it, and it has happened, but I can say since I've been edit, uh, editor in chief, um, I haven't had any trouble from Oscar De La Hoya or, or Eric Gomez. I think the one time, the one time I got kind of a frustrated call from Eric Gomez is when we put Eddie Hearn on the cover of Ring, <laughs> and he's like, uh, whose idea was it to put Eddie Hearn on the cover? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess that comes down to me, you know, um, it was supposed to just be Anthony Joshua, but uh, we had trouble getting the rights to certain uh, studio shots or whatever. And whatever, we wound up with Eddie and a bunch of fighters standing behind him. But, you know, and he was kind of like, well, wait, since when do you guys put promoters on the cover? I'm like, it happens, you know, <laughs> Don King's been on the cover and hey, Eddie's doing some some big things. It, it's never... It, it, before then, it had never been that the top or one of the top UK promoters came to the US and got a promoter's license and started doing shows in the US. And part of that was that huge, whatever, billion dollar deal with the zone. It was all huge. So whatever. We made that decision. But that's the only time. And it wasn't like, hey, don't ever do that again. Or fuck you, Doug. I'm mad at you. It wasn't <laughs> like that. He just called up and like, man, what the, f you know, I'm like, hey, you know. It is what it is. <laughs> and we just move on, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, but, the but by the way, try, try telling that to boxing Twitter, yeah. you know, they're going to, oh yeah, Oscar calls the shots or whatever. But I, I grew up in Missouri and I just say, show me if you think that we're favoring golden boy fighters in the rankings or in terms of our championship belt policy or whatever, point it out, you know, and I, you know, we're myself and most of the ring ratings panel. We're all on social media. You guys, you know, anybody can come at us and question us or debate us or whatever. We're not hiding, you know, so. I Anyways, can, I can speak from personal experience when I say that fighting with boxing Twitter gets you nowhere. So. Yes, I, you're right. I, I do 
I do understand that sentiment. Um, you know, the power and the influence of print publications, magazines, what have you, have certainly diminished over the last couple of decades. But over the last, let's say, six to eight months, you can certainly make an argument that Ring is making a case that it is still as important as ever in the boxing sphere because you have been oh, yeah. in the news a lot, you know, for good and bad. Yeah. You've been in some squabbles sure. with people over the last yeah. couple of months. But I think that speaks to the importance of Ring and the the relevance sure. of Ring magazine. Exactly. You know? And, and it, I, I want, you just said irrelevant. Yeah. If, they're not, if somebody's not complaining about you or taking shots at you, that's more cause for concern. Yeah, I want to ask you specifically about a couple of cases. One was sure. with Mauricio Suleiman, which was happened late last year at that WBC convention, where <laughs> Mauricio, kind of unprompted, attacked the ring, its championship. He said, quote, I don't know why media champions and promoters give any credit to a ring magazine belt, which only threatens the credibility of the sport. He went on to say they are a business, they are they make money, they are biased. Now, I have commented in the past, Doug, about the ridiculousness of a statement like that coming from the head of a sanctioning body. But when you first heard that attack from Mauricio, what was your reaction? Um, I, I, was, I was amused at first. I was amused. Um, I, I Immediately, I thought, okay, Mauricio, he's been under a lot of heat. Right. People were giving him crap about, uh, you know, ranking Nagano, you know, Francis Nagano, number 10 in their their which uh, was their ridiculous heavyweight yeah. rankings. Of course it was. He's he's one and oh, you know, oh, and one. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, and one. Yeah. You can argue he beat him. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, exactly. But um, there were some other things. Oh, I know they he had been under a lot of heat for uh, keeping Jamal Charlo, the WBC middle middleweight title mm. holder. Um, and there were some other things. I think there was a lot of pressure. Um, he was asked that question at the, the WBC uh, annual convention. I think they were in Uzbekistan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, the sanctioning body conventions are a celebration of those sanctioning bodies, especially the WBC. They do things big. Mm. You know, they, they, you know, there's big egos with that organization because, in their own right, they are iconic, right? That green belt, it does stand out um, in front of the other sanctioning organizations. When you when you think about Mike Tyson and, and Julio Cesar Chavez, you can envision them, you know, with that green belt after their biggest victories and all. Um, so they've got some history. There's a lot of messed up history there, a lot of controversy. But the convention is a celebration of of the WBC, and there's this guy from IFL TV who's interviewing them and asks him about a flyweight unification bout that does not involve the WBC title, and he's not even asking him about the whatever the IBF and WBO belts that were on the line. He's asking him, "Hey, what do you think about Ring Magazine not recognizing it as a flyweight championship?" And he's just like. This is, this is what I'm thinking. I haven't spoken to Mauricio since those statements. But I, in my mind, I'm like, he, he got, he's pissed off at that dude for asking him that question at the WBC convention. And what he should have said if his temper didn't get the better of him was, why don't you ask the Ring Magazine that? Why are you asking me? That's not even a WBC flyweight title fight. It's a unification bout between 
to other sanctioning bodies. And if the ring doesn't want to recognize it, that's on them. Now, he, he could have ripped us for not recognizing it, or he could have agreed with us. Um, but instead, it triggered him, right? And so I just figured, okay, his temper got the better of him, or his ego got the better of him, and he said those words. But then when I read it, I got mad because he was like, first he's like, you know, what is Ring Magazine? It is a magazine. I'm like, yeah, no shit. You know, <laughs> it's a business. Again, no shit. They are about money. I'm like, yeah, we're about, yes, we're about money from people who buy the magazine or subscribe to us, you know, but we're not, it ain't like we're leeching off the fighters. You know what I'm saying? It ain't like we're invoicing the promoters. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're actually, we're not a business within boxing's infrastructure. It's like, no, the sanctioning bodies our business and they can hide behind nonprofit status. We all know that's bullshit. You know, show me the CEO of any major nonprofit and I'll show you a dude driving a really nice car and living in a big ass house with a swimming pool out back. You know, they're about money. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, WBC sells more shit, more merch than Ring Magazine and all the sanctioning bodies put together. They're all about money. They're all about status. If there's a big money bout, it don't matter who is in the main event. Mauricio Suleiman's going to be there with the green belt. Hey, green, the color of money. It doesn't matter if it's Tyson Fury and Francis Naganu or Jake Paul versus whoever, right? Uh, Jake Paul could fight you. They're going to put, even if, if uh, an actual WBC title isn't on the line, they'll make a commemorative celebratory uh title just to be there to be a part of the extravaganza and the exposure and you know whatever the money you know what i'm saying so that upset me and i really kind of wanted to go off and then you know i went to the youtube channel uh and i looked at the comments underneath it and it was just fans ripping the shit out of mauricio and the wbc and i looked at the tweets and uh on x you know, and on Instagram, all of the comments, I mean, I mean, like 99% were like the audacity, you know, like the nerve, Mauricio, of you, you saying that they're a business and their decisions are arbitrary. Well, and my, Doug, my, my interpretation on. of those comments immediately were, there's a part of Mauricio Suleiman that sees Ring Magazine as a threat. And maybe it's- Right, but he shouldn't. Well, Don't right. you think that's crazy? Uh, we're not well, a sanctioning body. You're, you're not. You're not. Rich. But but look, I, I we can get into this later. But I certainly hope there comes a day when we have fights that are just for the Ring Magazine title. Like there was one in Saudi Arabia where Jayapataya dropped his IBF yeah, belt. You didn't, you didn't mention it. That, that's, by the way, that's false. We now listen, bro. Lord. We look, I didn't go into the ring. You didn't mention I the didn't ring go belt. into the ring wearing my Ring Magazine T-shirt, but it was brought up I'll over the course it. of the broadcast. It was brought up. One. Thank you. Um, I'll mail you one. But it goes look, good with the dark blazer. I, look, I <laughs> great. I think there. I hope someday there is a day where one of the most popular boxing champions only fights for a ring belt because they are not reaching into their pockets to pay a sanctioning fee, which to me is the most important facet of your belt. I, you know, your rankings, I, I, I agree with them sometimes, I disagree with them other, that's what happens 
in subjective rankings. Yeah, but uh, you know, but you know, they're coming from an authentic those, place. We're not making those decisions no. based on money no. or status. It's coming from who the fighters are connected to. Correct. It's coming from an, an authentic place. Um, yeah. So I, I, I can. That's where I can see Mauricio seeing ring as a threat. Where someday Canelo wakes up and goes, you know what? I don't want to pay a million and a half to defend these four titles or whatever it may be. Yeah. I'm just going to defend this ring belt and everybody else can go take a hike. Like in the back of my mind, if I'm Mauricio Suleiman or Gilberto Mendoza or Paco with the WBO or Daryl with the Darryl. IBF, like I, that would be my greatest fear that some of these big time stars who generate big time sanctioning fees. But it would only be those big time. I mean, first of all, do you see that happening? Do you think that will, that will ever happen? Never say never. I think I'm, boxing's addicted to sanctioning organizations. I mean, it is part of the structure. It's part of building a fighter up. Mm. I mean, we both, you and I both know and are even, you know, friends with managers and promoters. And we know, we know how hard the promoter works, how much the, the obviously how much the fighter, the fighter's sacrifice, the trainer's sacrifice, how much of an investment the, the management and the advisors and the promoters put into a fighter. And we do know that those sanctioning body belts, those minor belts that they win, the USA belt or Continental America's belt or whatever, it pushes them up those rankings. It does. And even in, in, in promotional contracts, when you win some of these belts, not even world titles, it gives you a, 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 an automatic bump up in your minimum purse. So we they're already in... They're part of the infrastructure. Like they're cleared by the, the the state commissions to to be in the ring. You know what I mean? I can't walk in the ring mm. with the with with the ring belt. You know, we don't have inspectors that stand there. Inspectors, right? You know, <laughs> sanctioning body like the reps that the sanctioning bodies have at the weigh-ins and before and after the fight to make sure that everybody sees the belt and they put it on the fighter. And if you're the WBC, you're putting on a belt and a t-shirt and a hat and who knows what else, a medallion. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, they're in there. They're already like a part of the fabric of the modern business of boxing. I don't know why they would be threatened by the ring magazine because it's only the most exceptional fighters that win that title. We don't have interim belts. We don't have continental America titles, you know? We only have a world title. The only time you see a fighter with a ring magazine belt is they're the world champion and they had to go through hell to get that belt, okay? Or they had to beat a sitting uh, ring champion or they're fighter of the, fighter of the year or they've been uh, number one pound for pound for a number of years and will award uh, a pound for pound belt. And it's very rare, you know? And personally, I thought Sonny, the, the fight between Sonny Edwards and Jesse Rodriguez, I thought that was worthy of the ring. Okay, okay, let's, let's get into that. Let, let's, let's address yeah. that because that was another one of the topics I want to hit you on. So Sonny Edwards and Bam Rodriguez fought for two of the official sanctioning bodies belts last month. It was widely considered throughout boxing the top two guys in the flyweight division. The ring magazine ratings had Sonny Edwards at number one, Bam yeah. Rodriguez at number four for a justifiable reason. Right. Of course, Bam Rodriguez yes, right. had only fought the one time at 112 pounds. He did win a title in that first defense. In between right. those two was Julio Cesar Martinez and Armet Delakia. Now, at a, I... At a, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Number two was Martinez. Number three is Delakia. Right. And, now, and, and I, by the way, I agree that those, that, that Edwards and Rodriguez 
were the two best flyweights. I'm right. not a fan of Martinez or Delakian. No offense to Delakian. He doesn't fight enough. Which, and Martinez, to me, has had opportunities to unify. He hasn't done. And he hasn't which is done why I, I did think yeah. that the decision by your ratings panel, and you were transparent about this. You published the transcript um, totally. of the debate over- For months, right, by the way, I, for months. We had been debating it from the day that the fight had been announced, even before it had a date and a place, we were debating. I this. did, I did first, think that the decision yeah, not to sanction it was a little highbrow because even those mm -hmm. in the chat would acknowledge that it was one versus two because Martinez, to your point, just doesn't fight anybody. And Delakian yeah. is like the Gary Russell Jr. of Europe. Like he fights once a year against exactly. virtually nobody. And, and they haven't looked good no. in recent bouts. Delakian arguably lost his last fight. And I think Martinez arguably last, lost his last fight or his fight before last. He was losing whatever. his last fight. I, I've seen he, it. he scored a knockout late yeah. in Guadalajara, I think it was. Yeah, Yeah, but before that, there was another guy he was in with who stank it, mm. stunk it out, but he couldn't do anything about it. I forget the name mm. of the cat. But um, anyways, they, hadn't, they mm. haven't looked good. And, uh, you know, but members of the panel would say, well, it, it, Bam Rodriguez didn't look like a world beater in winning that vacant WBO I mean, the dude title. fought with a broken jaw for the second half of the fight. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, I pointed that out. I pointed that out because I could I could foresee it, you know. Um, yeah, I had argued that he'd be ranked like at least number three in and that way it's within our rules to, you know, it's you know, we, we can debate it. But there are members of the panel that are just like, they're very strict. Could, no. could you? Our rules say number one for a vacant belt, it's number one versus number two, or in some cases, number one versus could number three. Could you, as editor-in-chief, though, part of it. have overruled the panel? Um, I'm not comfortable with doing that. Yeah, I could have. Uh, and and what, what the message that that sends is, if you're a promoter or you're a manager and you want to fight, uh, you want you know, a fight that you're promoting to be uh, for the Ring Magazine Championship, you can circumvent the panel and go straight mm -hmm. to Doug Fisher and try to get in his ear and, you know, twist his arm or whatever, you know. And that's and that's how promoters... And I'm, I'm not mad at promoters. Like, I I, I wasn't mad at, at Eddie Hearn from, you know, or, or even Lou DiBella, who had nothing to do with the promotion, to express their opinions on the Ring panel's decision. But I like it to be democratic. Um, that way we can be transparent. That way it's like, you know, I sometimes I'll agree. Sometimes I, I'll disagree. And I don't mind doing that. And anybody who's uh, part of the panel, they, they understand this. They understand, you know, uh, how have I phrased it? You know, what you say and write as part of this panel can and will be used against you in the court of social media opinion. And you got to be ready for that. And, and you have to be willing to stand up to the heat. And I'm not always going to agree with you. Um, you know, I'm not going to put them on blast in a disrespectful way, but I'll say, you know, Hey, I, I think the panel got it wrong this time. Um, I, what I will do is if there, if the panel is deadlocked and that happens, okay, more, you know, it, it happens a few times every, you know, you know, once a year or whatever, whether it's, uh, you know, um, you know, usually when it, with pound for pound rankings and with um, with the ring magazine championship um, and I I'll act as a tiebreaker. 
I'll sit out. And if they're deadlocked for a long period of time, I'll just say, okay, we're going to do this. This is the direction we're going in. Um, and I think that's fair, you know, but I don't like to, if, if the majority of the panel, um, you know, uh, votes one way, I don't like to veto. I think my case for an exception would have been, again, obviously one versus two in terms of pure talent. Second, if Sonny had won, it would have been the number one guy winning and the belt would have been deserved. If yeah. Bam had won, he wouldn't have kept it. He would have vacated it and gone up to 115 right. regardless. That was his last fight at 112 either right. way. So did it feel to you in the moment, because it was a great fight for as long as it lasted. Did it feel it to you in the moment? Really enjoyed yeah, it. And did I it knew feel it would in be. the moment though, like an opportunity missed? Uh, no. You know, if, if well, if Edwards would mm -hmm. have won that fight, I would have felt bad for Edwards because I know he wanted it. Sonny has, he wanted it. He has, and he's been, ta he's talked about it for years and he, he earned that position, that number one position. He's, he's defeated in succession, back to back to back to back, a bunch of badasses, different styles, all of them world-class. Um, there was a fight with a, with a really big hundred, a former 108 pound title holder uh, from uh, Nicaragua. Uh, Alvarado, um, Felix Alvarado. Alvarado. Yeah. Yeah. Alvarado. And that, in that fight, he answered all the questions I had about him. You know, like he just showed such tenacity and such skill and ring generalship uh, and to be willing. And I think that was like a voluntary defense, too, you know, to fight somebody, you know, a big, strong, heavy-handed pressure fighter like that and go through hell for for 12 rounds uh and not just um you know milk easy voluntary you know defenses of that ibf belt um he really impressed me and and i you know and i i want guys like that to hold the ring magazine title because as i said we're not a sanctioning we're not a sanctioning organization so we don't have mandatories so whoever holds our championship belts, I want them to be fighting champions and I want them to be the type of fighter and competitor that constantly wants to challenge themselves, that has that chip on their shoulder, even though they've made it, even though they've achieved their goals, still keeps that chip on their shoulder to where they want to fight the best because they want to prove to everybody, hey, I'm the king of the mountain. They got that like that Marvin Hagler mentality, you know, and I and I felt that, okay, you know, Edwards isn't this physically imposing boxer, but he has that mentality. Like he's going to win on sheer ring IQ and guile and savvy and guts. He's tough. Dude's tougher than nails, you know? Uh, and, he, and I think he proved that even in a loss to Bam Rodriguez. So had, had Edwards won the fight, I would have felt bad. I would have probably said something. Hey, Sonny, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably would have put that out there, you know? Um, but hopefully he gathers himself, you know, back up. He didn't, you know, I think he's like currently he's number two in our flyweight rankings. And now Bam is number one. Uh, and Bam's next fight or the fight they're talking about is Juan Francisco Estrada, right? At 115 hopefully, pounds. Hopefully that gets in. Yeah, hopefully. You know, if not next, then at some point. Either this way. Year, either way. Estrada is, is the ring yeah, magazine Either way, Bam's champion. done at 112. He, he will not be ever fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more question yeah. for you on ring. Um, it, it's lasted a hundred plus years. It's a ever changing landscape for all print based publications. How does ring magazine survive, say the next 10 years? 
Yeah, it's tough. Um, this past year, we didn't know what the heck we were going to be. Um, you know, once the decision came through that, you know, we were going to cease a monthly print publication, um, the editorial board, we got together and we said, okay, you know, do we bother with a, a, a monthly digital edition? Because that those monthly print deadlines, uh, that's stressful. It's stressful in the way, you know, the way things change so quickly in boxing, you know, we'll have a cover story uh, all set up and, you know, 60% of a magazine done. And then, you know, that fight that is the cover story falls out because somebody tests positive, you know, for a banned substance or, you know, somebody gets injured or whatever. And, you know, and, and we've got like two weeks to salvage a mag. That's happened a number of times. And, you know, we lost hair over that, you know, um, so part of us were like, let's just focus on the website. Let's just, you know, focus our energy, our time and our energy and our efforts. And, you know, let's bring these um, magazine contributors over to the website. Let's let's make ringtv.com the best website we can be. Um, and then somebody pointed out, like, you know, those subscribers, a lot of them are subscribed till the end of 2024 and some till 2025. If we're not going to have uh, even like a digital edition of this magazine, we have to refund them all. And we, we crunch the numbers and we're like, oh, shit. OK, <laughs> all right. Yeah, we're going to continue having a, uh, a, a, a digital issue. But it was a, it was a grind. Like we we only did seven issues in uh, 2023. So my goal going forward, I want to have a monthly digital edition um, and Throughout last year and going into even this year, we're almost finished with it. We, we uh, Golden Boy hired a, a company, uh, an app company to, to develop a new app, right? So real user friendly and all that. So my goal is to have uh, go back to a monthly uh, magazine, but it's the it's monthly digital, but it'll be a quarterly uh, as a print publication. We'll still we'll still have uh, print publications. And if you are a subscriber, you will get those four print magazines and they'll be collector type magazines. Like we did one print magazine last year and it was a preview for Spence Crawford and the magazine was beautiful and I'm real proud of it. Uh, but it was an absolute disaster because it didn't get to people's hands until the week of the fight. And in many cases till after the fight, so obviously fans who bought it on the online store were pissed off. Um, subscribers were, you know, they were happy to get it. But, you know, and subscribers were able to read the magazine digitally. But if you're like me, if you're old school like me, you want to read something in your hands. Like, you know, I don't read anything digitally, you know, I'm over 50. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if it's not like, you know, manga, you know, comic or something <laughs> like that, I'm not reading that digitally. Um, but it's that's important to, to keep it some of the print, you know, like we can't do a monthly, it's too expensive, but to have special treasury editions, special, you know, editions, whether it's on like an all, you know, a, a legendary fighter like Joe Lewis or um, whatever, like, uh, you know, some kind of like big fight anniversary. Right. So I think uh, the 50 year anniversary of the rumble in the jungle mm -hmm. is this year, right. In October, you know, something like some kind of, you know, commemorative type issue like that where we mine the ring archives and, and we get the best writers, you know, um, to, to, to put it together. And maybe we reprint some old, you know, classic articles or whatever. Um, 
that sort of thing that that's that's my goal is to have the best of both worlds digital and print and uh to really and this is a real challenge you know what's the difference between what we put on the website and what goes into the digital edition of a magazine it can't be the same thing you know uh because otherwise people are like you know i'll just read it on the the website you know so finding, you know, what is the type of content that people want to read digitally that people will subscribe to? Um, and we'll have to, you know, we'll have to figure that out. But I do think there's a place for long form stories, for analysis, for obviously for historical articles. Um, I think the website, that's that's breaking news. That's that ever changing hourly news cycle that we have in the social media age. Um, and, uh, you know, the sort of the deeper content will be the, the the digital edition and, there, and there's a lot to that's that we're going to be unpacking this year i mean saudi arabia is this new player you know i'm here and they're going to have like eight shows this year and they're all going to be like the super bowl of boxing you know what does that mean for the sport what are the pros and cons um you know the pbc going to amazon prime you know what's that how's that going to play out you know there's going to be you know thousands of news items that come out of those uh, those events and these changes, but you know, there, there, there needs to be a place for like a deeper analytical look. And I think, you know, it, it, it should be, um, has the there ever been a conversation about charging a sanctioning fee for the belt? Yes. Yeah. We have talked about that, but not mm -hmm. to the fighters, to the promoters or to the networks. Um, and it has to be important, you know, it has to be, um, it, and it wouldn't be like to, to rake in dough. It would just be to cover the cost of the production of the belts, the production and the shipping of the belts, um, you know, or for the cost for somebody to be there to present the belt, you know, uh, cause I mean, that, that's what the sanctioning bodies have. I mean, like they have the 3%, the traditional 3% that, uh, they charge the fighters who are fighting for the belt. But then there's also those representatives, those inspectors, that's what they call them. Um, and they invoice the promoter uh, for that. The promoter, you know, if, if the in inspector is coming from out of city or out of state, it's the promoter pays for that travel. The promoter puts that that WBC or WBO rep up in the hotel, you know, and then after the event, the promoter will receive an invoice. You know, and it's not a ton, you know, it's like 1500 bucks or whatever, but they call it inspection fees. I don't know if people really know about this. I know this because I, I know promoters, right? You know, hey, we're owned by a promoter, you know, and we hear them complain about shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but so we have thought like, you know, something like that, something that either the promoter or the, the network, you know, you know, uh, covers the cost that um, of, of the, either the travel, um, but definitely, um the for for the production of the belt because they're hmm. it's not cheap it's a considerable cost given you know an entire uh, before year. i let you go i want you to put your journalism hat on for me and weigh in on what i think is the biggest story of the week by far one of the biggest stories potentially in a while that's what happened this past weekend in las vegas where virgil ortiz stops frederick lawson in the first round a suspect stoppage it seemed at the time by tony weeks tony weeks yeah. then goes on facebook of all places and post that, he knew that there had been brain scans that showed aneurysms on the brain 
of Frederick Lawson before the fight. And he effectively accused the Nevada commission of doctor shopping to find a doctor who gave a scan that cleared uh, Frederick Lawson. Now, Golden Boy has said in a statement that this Frederick Lawson was cleared by a Nevada commission neurologist. The Nevada commission came out earlier this week with a very carefully worded boilerplate yeah. PR vetted statement that effectively said the same thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I, I touched on this right. at the top of the show, Doug, before you, you came on, but um, yeah, just basically give me your take right now on, on the information that you have at the moment on what is going on here? Because Tony Weeks, for all the criticism he's received over the last year for the Romero Barroso stoppage for what happened this yeah. past weekend is among the most recognizable referees in all of boxing. You see him in movies. Um, right. You see him at a lot of big fights. Yeah. Like people know he's been around. People he's know Tony yeah. Weeks. For him to come out and make those kind of accusations, I don't believe yeah. that they can be responded by just that statement. What's your take on it? I, you know, listen, I think, I don't know how he would be privy to that information, but the way boxing is, there's always people talking, right? There's always whispers. There's always rumors. Um, if there's a fighter that's uh, been through the mill and, you know, been knocked out, you know, more than a few times or had suffered uh, an ugly knockout um, or is beginning to show signs uh, of uh, neurological damage. And we see it, you know, we see like, you know, um, you know, older uh, veterans, journeyman fighters who uh, are getting thick in the tongue uh, and maybe, you know, in the ring, even they don't move the way they used to move. Um, and sometimes you will hear people say, uh, you know, the ref knows to, to keep a close eye on this guy. Uh, because he's getting towards the end of his career and um, boxing needs to protect these guys who are basically professional opponents. Which is what right? happened with Barroso, you know which I'm convinced is exactly what happened in the Romero-Barroso fight from last year, where Tony saw a 40-year-old looking like he was getting hit and stopped the fight. This, though, was far more... But he was wrong. He but was that's, wrong. I agree. Wrong. Well, I agree that's with you. That's not fair to Barroso, because Barroso had looked strong Completely in agree. his fights leading... Completely fight. agree with that count. But yeah. this, this, to me... That's that's judging him on his face yes. and his age, which he, he, you shouldn't do. But what I'm saying is I I I myself have heard people say there were, you know, like um, let's say I'm I'm doing a uh, a broadcast, right? And we get a, a bout sheet, you know, you you, mm -hmm. you you know this, right? There's a bout sheet, and then it's the day of the fight or whatever, or or whatever. It's a couple of days before the fight or before the weigh-in, and and I say, okay, I'm I'm looking at the bout sheet and somebody saying uh, like a matchmaker comes by and like this fight, just so you know, this fight might fall out. And, and, and I'll say, well, why, what happened? And like, well, there was some medical issues with this guy. Uh, now, sometimes that's like a doctor comes by and examines a fighter, the fighter arrives, right. You know, before the, the press conference uh, or before the, the, like in California, before the weigh in, right. The, there will be uh, commissioners that come by and they do physical examinations. They're like neurological, but they're testing the fighters, you know, sight and, and, and reflexes. And they'll grab their arms and be like, you know, touch your nose, like a sobriety check. That's what it looks like. It looks like sobriety checks. And I do know it's happened a few times. Um, and I'm going back some years, 10, 15 years or whatever, 
But I remember there was a fighter, uh, a, a veteran, you know, former lightweight contender named Jose Armando Santa Cruz, who was supposed to be fighting on a card. You know, it was, uh, it was a, I don't know, a Fox Sports card or whatever. And he was fighting some young badass, um, you know, uh, lightweight prospect or junior welterweight prospect. And he was pulled from the card. And I was like, oh, what happened? You know, and like, well, uh, the he didn't pass his neurological. And I said, so there was something, a brain scan, and they found something like, no, no, the, they just didn't like his reflexes. They didn't like the way he, he walked and talked and they were, they did, you know, they did like resistance stuff on his arms. Um, and they said, this guy's, this guy shouldn't be fighting. And he got pulled from the card and you know what? I don't think he ever fought again, but, um, that just comes to mind. So what I'm getting back to the Tony Weeks situation, I'm going to say it's possible that Tony Weeks heard like rumors like, hey, I don't know about this guy. I heard there was something funny with the scans. Mm. Right. So sometimes they'll do a if they do a scan. Right. Especially if there's a fighter coming in from another country or whatever. And they do these scans. Sometimes on the brain, there'll be areas that like it'll just look like a shadow or whatever, you know, and this could be brain trauma but sometimes it's just the way the brain is like sometimes it's inconclusive in brain, sometimes like, inconclusive right there's like what what amounts to a pimple inside the brain right like a little pocket of fat you know what i'm saying like a cyst or whatever but it's not necessarily a blood clot or you know as weeks was saying an aneurysm right that's this that's was so so specific doug so specific with aneurysm. yeah yeah i don't know i'm gonna say this if it's true that's on that's on the Nevada State Commission, and these are that's the, that's that's these are serious allegations. I had someone um, say, if, I, and, I had a lawyer for a serious. I had a lawyer say, if it's true, the Nevada State Commission should be disbanded. Yeah. Like that, that was how serious. Like again, if true, yeah, that's how serious it is. But to, my point is, yeah. at this point, as we're talking, all we have is a boilerplate statement for the Nevada Commission. I don't believe this is resolved with that. I know there are HIPAA laws and confidentialities here, but you just had arguably the most known referee in your universe, your boxing universe, yeah. say specifically two scans showed up on an aneurysm and you doctor shop to find someone to give him a third. You can't just say, hey, it, it, you know, he was medically cleared because that's exactly what Golden Boy said. Right. And that that doesn't address right. the specific accusation. That that to me is my always going to be my where I stand on all this. Right. And it's such a strong accusation. You know, you, you would think he would know if he made that accusation and he was just pulling it out of his ass. He was using it as an excuse or because he couldn't take the heat um, that he could be sued. I mean, he at, the, at a minimum, he just committed career suicide. Like he'll never referee again. Right. Right. Never at the minimum. Right. Again. You know. Right. And at the maximum, it's you know, it's it's, yeah. it's libel. You know, what he, what he, cause he wrote it, it, it went out there on Facebook. So that's that, you know, um, it's libelous, um, if it's not true. Uh, so it's, yeah, I, you know, the funny thing is it's not funny, but, um, I know for a time, the Nevada state athletic commission had a, a bad rep among promoters because and this is when Bob Bennett was, was the head that they would veto a lot of opponents, you know, I mean, Munguia famously Bennett yep. or somebody else thought like, you know, if you remember when uh, when the, the 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 rematch between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, when when Alvarez tested positive and that bout had to be postponed, Team Golovkin wanted to go ahead and fight on that Cinco de Mayo date, and they wanted to stay in 
uh, in Nevada and they wanted to fight a Mexican opponent because HBO said it'll be a, a pay-per-view if you get the right Mexican opponent. And they, they selected Jaime Munguia, who was real young at the time. He was still, he was still a prospect. And, uh, you know, he was a big, young, healthy, strong kid, even though he was a junior middleweight. And um, it was it was squashed. The, the, the commission was like, no, that's that's a mismatch. Golovkin will murder this kid or whatever. And, and there was I think people in the industry used to call him uh, Box Wreck Box <laughs> Bob because they said Bennett would go to Box Wreck and look at the opposition and say, uh, he hasn't this guy hasn't fought anybody. He shouldn't be in this match and, and matchmakers and promoters and obviously the managers. They would get pissed as hell. And so the, the commission was getting this reputation for being very difficult. But the flip side of that is a commission that bends over backwards for promoters. So mm -hmm. you don't want that because obviously, you know, a promoter is going to want to protect their star, especially in Virgil Ortiz's situation. They just wanted him to get to the ring. He had had so many health setbacks and so many fights canceled. They were like, we got to get him to the weigh-in and through the weigh-in and, and, and get him up those stairs into the ropes. Uh, and then whatever happens, happens. But they didn't want to put him in there too tough, you know, given those health issues and given the time out of the ring or whatever. Um, so the crazy thing is, is, is you know, Lawson, was he, he wasn't supposed to last more than a few rounds or whatever. But then there's this controversy over how quickly mm -hmm. the fight was stopped, which I guess mm -hmm. prompted we Weeks to, to, to publish what he published via his Facebook, um, like, you know, an explanation. That's why I was looking after this guy's health because I knew this guy was not just in danger. He was like, his health was, was compromised. Um, and I, who would investigate this? You know what I mean? Like could weeks could like, like weeks took the stuff took down, down, right? Yeah. But if weeks wanted to protect his reputation, could he, you know, could he like, you know, could he come forth with his own investigation or even like his own lawsuit? I wonder. I just don't want if he did, it would it would be against would. the commission. I mean, it this would. is all my, my big thing yeah. is I don't want to see this just go away. That's my fear at all this. Like, cause that's what happens yeah. in boxing. It's like we move on to the next thing yes. the next week. If this guy had brain scans that showed something, it needs to be unearthed. It needs to Whatever be uncovered. It, is. it needs to be addressed by Jeff Mullen and the Nevada commission. This was, these were just too specific. This wasn't, yeah. you know, I heard this guy had an issue in his pre-fight medicals. This right. was, he had two aneurysms pop up and they doctor shopped. Yeah. Like, I don't know that, that, you know, that, you know, what would be interesting though, is if uh team Lawson went to a, you know, a, a, a doctor, a neurologist, and had scans done of his brain and and made that made that public. Say, hey, mm -hmm. here's his brain. There ain't no aneurysms, you know. And here's this, you know, uh, this doctor. And you know, it has to be a respected doctor. Let's say it's uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Margaret Goodman. You know, she was a neurologist. I don't think she's a practicing neurologist anymore, but she knows boxing and she's made fighter safety kind of like her crusade, you know, through VADA um, to have somebody like her you know, who has credibility, you know, she's in the hall of fame say, I've examined this fighter and you know what? There are no aneurysms. You're like, mm. you know what I mean? Like that would be nice. I would love to see that and team Lawson hold a press conference and say, okay, let's put this to rest. Uh, but we're probably not going to see that, but I am kind of glad this this comes out because I do think it puts all the other commissions on notice. And I will say, you know, 
even going to like a lot of the club shows that, you know, I'll, I'll commentate on the, the streams or whatever. Um, I've known fighters to be yanked from a card, you know, like right after the weigh-in because mm -hmm. they don't look right, you know, or certainly because of any kind of um, medical concern, whether it's their vision or neurological or what have you. Um, you know, I've, I've heard of fighters being pulled because of dental work that they had that had mm -hmm. done that week, you know? Okay. So it's, I, I don't want to say all, you know, I, I don't I don't want to create the impression that boxing commissions are inherently corrupt and they just want to, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, throw, you know, put on mismatches or anything like that. There are a lot of really good commissions out there. Um, but I think in, in a way this is good because it, it, it just puts everybody on no a question. And it's kind of like a reminder for for, you know, commissions throughout the, the U.S. jurisdiction. You guys got to, you know, fighter safety comes first. Doug, as a lover of the print word, I do appreciate your work over at Ring Magazine. Uh, my uh, producer, Adam, informs me that uh, the New Yorker started publishing in 1925. So you've got three years. Oh, we got, got him beat. beat. Got him beat there. So congratulations <laughs> on the century of success. And uh, here's to a century more, my friend. I appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Doug Fisher for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. I go sleep. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. <laughs> 